0: Good evening, we did not make it through when we made it up to verse 31 last week and I did not want to hurry through the parable of the fig tree or the rest of Matthew 24 even though we did do it on Sunday morning we're going to pick it up at verse 32 but before we do look at chapter 26 and um, read the first two verses now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples you know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This gives us our time frame. Now we know exactly when the Olivet Discourse was given. It's in chapter 24 and 25. And sometimes when a person is giving his final words, uh, the, the word that sticks out that we're gonna be looking at tonight is watching. The question is watching for what? And um, that's where we'll start with the parable of the fig tree. It is one, two, three, four verses long. Um, This is not necessarily in a chronological order because we've already, Matthew 24, talked about the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We spent quite a bit of time on that. Uh, Instructions where they were to go to when they see the event taking place in the middle of the great tribulation period. That would be verses 16 through 26. Isaiah 16 tells us that places say La or Petra in Jordan. I've been there three or four times over the years. And um, one third of Israel will be protected in that area. The Lord said in verse 21 that this will be the most terrible tribulations such as not been since the beginning of the world nor until this time nor ever shall be. So this is a future event. Then in verse 27, we'll come back to this, he's talking about immediately after the tribulation of those days, they will see the Son of Man coming in his power and glory. Verse 30, the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. So we're going to be going now to the sign when the disciples came to the realization that the kingdom really wasn't coming right then. Everybody expected it, but it didn't because Jesus started talking about the destruction of the temple, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 24, and that was fulfilled in 70 A.D. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll mention again what a preterist is. A preterist is someone who believes that all the events of Matthew 24 and 25 and the complete book of Revelation has already all been fulfilled. And that's called preterism. Now, I mentioned this several times. An easy way to put a preterist to rest that this simply can't be is in verse 21 because um, the abomination of desolation according to Daniel nine twenty seven clearly says it's in the middle of this last seven-year period of time. Verse 21 says, Then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world, nor until this time. Well, I'm afraid there were thousands of people killed in 70 AD, but it wasn't anywhere near close to the Holocaust, where six million Jews were killed. And the Lord says that this is a future event that is yet future as we're here this evening. So, it's impossible for these events to have taken place in 70 A.D. because it simply wasn't the most terrible time that the world has ever known, or the world will ever see. That is clearly the second half of the Great Tribulation period. Brings us to the parable of the fig tree. Pastor Chuck made a movie about this in the 70s, and let's read it. We'll go back, even though we went into quite a bit of detail this on Sunday morning. We'll look at it again. He changes gears in verse 31, and says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree when the branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer's near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Let that one sink in. A generation of people that are going to be alive, that's going to see the fulfillment of all the things that Jesus talked about. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, if you go back to verse 3 of Matthew 24, the reality that the kingdom is not going to be established, it will be postponed. And we read, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, okay, if, you, if the kingdom's not now, then tell us when will these things be and what will be the signs? Notice it's singular, not plural. Even though the Lord gives us signs, plural, um, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, um, uh, kingdom rising against kingdom. These are signposts that will um, they will exponentially increase as we get closer to the rapture of the church. But notice here it says He's going to give them signs, but. The question is, what is the sign? And what we're about to enter into now is the sign. Um, When Chuck made the video, he showed the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And um, without exception, when you look at the scriptures and you use an an analogy, you'll find that Israel is always... um, significantly aligned with Israel. Two places, we went there on Sunday but maybe we weren't here on Sunday so uh, let's take our Bibles and go to Jeremiah 24. Of course, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He did not have, he had one message, 70 years and and, uh, because uh, you have not walked in my ways, you will go into captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. There were false prophets who said, don't worry about a thing, it's not gonna happen. Nobody's gonna take you away into captivity. But history proved out that for 70 years, Israel was in captivity. And um, in the first five verses, Jeremiah's sermon of the two baskets of figs. The Lord showed me and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captives Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with all the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and he brought them to Babylon. This would have been Daniel and his three friends. They were looking for the cream of the crop when they had their first attack against Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar came three different times before he destroyed it. The first time, he was just looking for administrative, sharp, cream-of-the-crop Jewish men. And Daniel and his three buddies were taken. So when it talks about in verse 1 here, the princes of Judah, we have Daniel in mind. And of course, Daniel rose to the most powerful man in all of Babylon next to Nebuchadnezzar himself. Um, then he says on one basket were very good figs Like the figs of first ripe So this would be reference to the, the guys like Daniel and his friends And the other basket had very bad figs which could be not eaten Now these would have been the rebels Those that uh, w- would not listen to Jeremiah Did not believe his words So we have the Lord saying we got two baskets of figs here But what are they really? Well they're people In particular, they're Jewish people. And um, the Lord says, what do you see, Jeremiah? And he says, figs. The good figs are very good, the bad figs are very bad, which cannot be eaten, they're so bad. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans." And my point is that we have uh, an example of figs being used to Jewish people. Go to Matthew chapter 21. And this would have been either on Monday or Tuesday of Jesus' last week. Of course, Palm Sunday is a triumphal entry. And it says the next day, so it could have been Monday, um... Or Tuesday, we have the cursing of the fig tree, and that is in let me find a cleansing of the temple. Cursing of the fig tree, verse 18. So the Lord was hungry. He's going he had gone back to either Bethany or the Garden of Gethsemane. Now it's morning, we read, and he's returning to the city. He would have gone in through the eastern gate, and he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. And so when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? Well, they were cursed. We read right before um, uh, our chapter in verse 24, The heart of the Lord, go to verse 37. This is after um, some of the strongest verbiage in the Bible. I suppose if there's one thing the Lord couldn't stand, it was a hypocrite. And what he saw in the scribes and the Pharisees was total hypocrisy. Eight times the word woe was mentioned to these religious leaders. Um, Seven times the word A hypocrite is used, and he gets really down and dirty in verse 33 and calls them serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Some of the strongest language in the Bible. But then as he concludes chapter 23, you see the Lord's heart for his people. John 1, verse 11 says that Jesus came to his own people, and his own received him not. And now he's drawing a line in the sand in verse 37. And this is, this is the heart of a father weeping because of his rejection. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together just like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing the father's heart was that they would come to him and serve him, but they wouldn't. And so he says, see your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you will not see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's now, they've rejected him. He said, fine, and um, that's how chapter 23 ends. And the reality again setting in for the disciples, the kingdom is postponed. And uh, Sunday's message, of course, was Israel's inability to reconcile a servant who would come and be pierced and rejected, Isaiah 53, but also the king of David that would establish a kingdom. And they couldn't reconcile these two events so they picked the, the one that they wanted, which was he's coming to establish the kingdom. They never saw him coming and dying for the sins of the world. So the sign, getting back to our parable, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When the fig tree starts to bud, well, it was destroyed in 70 AD. Verses 1 and, 1 and 2 of Matthew 24, I agree with um, the, the preterist, this was a fulfillment. Not one stone will be left upon you Um, Jesus said in um, Luke chapter 19 that um, that's exactly what would take place. And 38 years later, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. But, like I said, this is not in a chronological order. So as we look at the parable of the fig tree, when it begins to blossom, in other words, become a nation again, and um and for hundreds of years bible teachers um all the church early fathers couldn't could not comprehend um some of these verses because it meant that Israel after being gone for 2000 years is going to come back and become a nation again and guess what <laughs> 2000 years later uh, on May 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion stood up and fulfilled this prophecy. He says, "Could a nation be born in one day? A nation was born one day. And it, he says, I call the name of this country Israel. There was a softening of the hearts because of the Holocaust in World War II, because of the Balfour de- Declaration, and for the first time, Israel was granted a piece of property in the Middle East. Well, they were immediately attacked by their enemies on all sides and um, against all odds, survived. And when we read here, so when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door, assuredly I say unto you, this generation will means pass away till they see the fulfillment of all things. So there's a generation that's going to be alive and we'll talk about that with the rapture in these next verses. But the question is, Did Israel come back, and have they flourished? And um, are they budding, so to speak? Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. 36 and 37 are two chapters primarily saying exactly the same thing. I'll draw your attention to verse eight, and it's talking about the return of the nation of Israel Verse eight, but you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches. Interesting language compared to the parable of the fig tree that we're studying. And yield your fruit to my people Israel for they're about to come. For indeed, I am for you and I will turn to you and you shall shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you. All the house of Israel, all of it, and his cities will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply you with men and beasts, and they will increase and bear young, and I will make you inhabit as in former times, and do better for you than at the beginning, and then you will know that I am the Lord. That phrase recurs 54 times in the book of Ezekiel. Yes, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel, and they shall take possession of you, and you shall be their inheritance. Uh, no more shall you bereave them of your children. Skip down to verse 33. The Lord says, On that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities and also will enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled, instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. And they will say, the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified again. And the nations which are left all around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Chapter 37 is two visions, both saying the same thing, that at one time Israel was divided. It had a northern kingdom, ten tribes, and it had a son of the kingdom, two tribes. That's why you have the vision of dry bones and um, the, um, the sign of the two sticks. No longer two, but there will be one. And that's what uh, we see today. I mentioned Mark Twain. His life dream was to go to Israel. And when he went there, he was extremely disappointed because he said, all I ever saw was goats eating rocks. That's all there's there. (laughs) It was desolate. The latter rains have not started and it laid in ruins and Israel was out of the land for 2,000 years. The parable of the fig tree is my many, many, many trips to Israel have just watched it get more and more beautiful Every time we go. Now last week I mentioned they've become the eighth strongest military in the world. All within the last 70 years. From nothing to 40 different kinds of produce that they export. They're the fourth or fifth largest exporters of fruit in the world. (laughs) A country the size of New Jersey. And they do this through their... um, Uh, amazing I want to say archaeological agriculture that's the word I'm looking for that's a lot different (laughs) and uh, it's become like we just read in Ezekiel 36 like the Garden of Eden so if we go back to the the parable of the fig tree let's sum it up this way in 70 AD they were dispersed no nation no ethnic group of people has ever been defeated and then come back 2,000 years later, exist in their own land, it's never happened. A culture, there's no more Philistines, there's no more Hittites, there's no more Canaanites. They've, they've been assimilated into the, to the culture that conquered them, not true with Israel. Now they're back and the, the fig tree is blossoming And the reason that should be significant to us is the question that the disciples asked Jesus. Lord, when and what is the sign? What is the sign? Well, the biggest miracle today in our generation is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. What's going to happen during that time? The group of people that are alive during this period of time will see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecies and what our study is about tonight is a chronological order of the events that lead up to the second coming of the Lord. We have the rapture of the church. Well, we have the regathering of the nation of Israel. The rapture of the church, the great tribulation, the signpost called the abomination of desolation right in the very middle of that seven year period of time. If you're taking notes, Daniel 9 verse 27 talks about the Antichrist making that peace treaty with Israel for seven years, but breaking it in the middle of that seven-year period of time. Paul talked about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that um, um, there will be the falling away then the Antichrist will be revealed, but then and only then do we have the great day of the wrath of the Lamb, or what we call the tribulation period. After the tribulation, if we make it to uh, Matthew 25:31, which I'm having strong doubts, <laughs> we have, um, well we have a Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the Lord will come. Of tribulation of what days? Well, a seven year period of time. So, um, the Lord in verse 35 is saying, look, this is going to happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not what I just said. My words will by no means pass away. Nothing can stop Israel from coming back and becoming a nation. And believe me, they are the most despised group of ethnic people in the world today. And there's a lot of people that would like to see them done. By the way, I, when we were back in 36 and 37, just check that off, that's all been fulfilled. They're back in the land. Chapter 38 is what we call the Gog-Magog War. And the primary players that have come against Israel, Russia and Iran. Coincidence that Russia has boots on the ground in Israel today and Iran's threat is Israel has no right to exist, we're gonna drive you into the sea. They've never backed down from that. And they've uh, already came back after Trump was saying, yep, we made some progress on getting rid of their nukes. Well, they just came out this week and said, no way. No way, Jose, we're not getting rid of our nukes. So the two people mentioned, two countries that are the main game players in the Middle East today is Russia, and that's Ezekiel 38. It's called Gog and Magog. And the one that's right behind them, next to them in power, is called Persia. A hundred years ago, Iran was called Persia. All we have is a name change. These will be the nations that will come against Israel, but for the first time, since they were delivered from Egypt, God is going to show himself strong personally on behalf of the nation of Israel. Beginning with verse 36, we have a whole new train of thought and an event that I I wish would happen sooner rather than later. But of that day and hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Well, if you were here on Sunday, and if you weren't, I encourage you to get the the DVD. Because of Daniel 9 and Nehemiah chapter 2, you can know to the very day that Jesus would allow himself to be worshipped. It was April 6, 32 A.D., and it was on that Palm Sunday when he rode that donkey down the Mount of Olives. So we know to the day. So this verse can't be reference to the first coming. Then if you read Daniel chapter 12, the last three verses of Daniel chapter 12, it says when you see, it'll be 1,290 days after you see the abomination of desolation. And if that's a new term for you tonight, it's simply this. Paul talked about it again in Second Thessalonians 2. It's when the Antichrist goes into the temple. Oh, the temple. You mean Israel's gonna have a temple? Yeah. Uh, because the daily sacrifice will be taken away. And um, when that event happens, and you're, there during that seven-year period of time, um, any born-again Christian will not be there. But basically start counting, because 1,000, well, I tell you what, we need to go back to this one. Go back to Daniel chapter 12. I just flipped my Bible right open to it. The last three verses of the book of Daniel says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, in order to have a daily sacrifice, you have to have a temple. And the abomination of desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. it says, blessed is he who comes to the 1,335th day. Now why um, would you be blessed if you make it that far? All right, because I'm not going to be able to get through all this tonight. <laughs> Let's just tease you a little bit for Sunday morning. Go to Matthew 25. I know I'm skipping ahead. But this ties in directly with Sunday's message. So Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And to the sheep, um, these will, it says Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation, the Son of Man comes. All right, when does he come? 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation is set up. What does he do, and why are you blessed if you make it to the 1,335th day? If you do the math there, you have 45 days. 45 days before a certain group of people are blessed and some aren't. The judgment of the Gentiles when the Lord returns, evidently it'll take 45 days to shut separate those who made it through the great tribulation period. Uh, now I'm really going where I said I wouldn't go, but go there anyways. Turn to Revelation 14. It'll tease you a little bit more for Sunday morning. Unfortunately, most mainline churches do not take a literal view of the book of Revelation. It's exactly that seven-year period of time. It's the only book that says, if you read me, chapter 1, verse 3, you're blessed. And the last thing it says in the last three verses of the book of Revelation, don't add to it, don't take away from it. In other words, don't mess with this book. We read uh, Revelation 14, Verse nine. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb." And a smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they'll have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. These are the goats. They made it through the the great tribulation period. They're still alive. But what we're coming into now, Jesus is going to establish the kingdom age, which is going to last for a 1,000 years. They can't enter in. And we're told right here in Revelation 14, but then in verse 12 it says, but here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who have kept the commandments of God and have uh, the faith in Jesus. So there are those Christians that also made it through the great tribulation period. And when we read these verses here, when he comes, he's gonna separate the sheep from the goats. Who are the sheep? They're the ones who didn't take the mark of the beast. Who are the goats? They're the ones who did. And we read at the last verse of verse 46 because we're gonna get in depth in this on Sunday morning. These goats go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into everlasting life. The righteous enter into the thousand year kingdom reign and um, uh, the the goats will go into um, everlasting punishment prepared for the devil and his angels. All right. Let's go back to Matthew 24. Verse 36 can only be a reference to the rapture because we know both to the day when Jesus came the first time, April 6, 32 AD. We know to the day when he's gonna come back the second time, 1,290 days after the abomination and desolation is set up. That brings us to what it's gonna be like when the Lord comes for his church. So, verses 37 through 44. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Noah was faithful in his generation, and for 120 years, he said judgment was coming. Nobody believed him, except his family members. For as the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah was, entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so life is normal. Uh, this cannot be a picture of the second coming because we read in Matthew chapter 24 that the Lord says, unless he di- directly intervenes, unless he shortens the day, no flesh would be saved. That doesn't sound like wedding parties to me. (laughs) It sounds like such great judgment that unless the Lord directly intervenes in human history, all mankind would destroy itself. So what we have here is a picture of people not thinking for a second that God would ever judge. And then he says, two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be working at Walmart, the one will be taken and the other one left. I'm just trying to bring it up to speed a little bit here. We don't have granny mills anymore. So watch therefore, watch for what? Jesus said, concerning now the wars, the famines, the pestilence, just last week, one of the worst terrorist attacks, and seven years, 200 people um, were killed in that terrorist attack. A couple of American tourists were killed by ISIS. Um, that was on the news tonight. And so we have lawlessness abounding, and it's not getting better, it's only getting worse. Why do you say that, for, Dwight? Because there are signs to watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You see, the rapture is what we call imminent. It's called the glorious hope. And when Paul writes about it in Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 Thessalonians, he says, comfort one another. Yes, there's a terrible period of time that's coming, but God knows, has not appointed his church to wrath, and that's why there has to be a rapture. There has to be a rapture. And it happened before. It happened with Enoch. We talked about this on Sunday. He walked with God, and he was not because God took him. Uh, Same thing with Elijah. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Question, you think the Lord's coming tonight? No, I'm planning on painting tomorrow. I don't know about you guys, but that's that's where my head's at. I'm painting front porch right now. So am I thinking that the Lord's coming? No, but I sure enjoyed this song, this world is not my home. Because it reminds me, my home ain't that important. What it is is being ready and watching. And therefore you also be ready for the son of man who's coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Um, the illustration of two different kinds of people at this point here, are two servants. The first servant is, who is then that faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his house to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour that he's not aware of and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, when you don't teach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation when you don't teach the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, how many pastors today do you think would skip over what I just read? A whole lot of them. Why? Because that doesn't make me feel very good. Talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth, and these are two servants. Um, These two servants tie into what I believe is the parable of the 10 virgins because again we have two different groups of people some that are wise and some that are foolish here we have one that was faithful and in due season because he was faithful and little the Lord will give him uh, more responsibility and as we look at um, uh, 25 uh, I think we'll get through the the ten virgins okay and that's the first 13 verses of of um, the Olivet Discourse. Now again, good Bible teachers do not believe that the church is in the Olivet Discourse, that it was meant only for Jewish, the Jewish people. Another way that that can be refuted is that we have 10 virgins that are waiting for their bridegroom. John the Baptist, who is Jewish, says, I'm only a friend of the bridegroom but I'm not the bride. These are ones that are waiting for their bridegroom to come. It can only be the church. Verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So we have, we have 10 virgins here. And um, because they're waiting for their bridegroom, uh, we we're saying they're all Christian, but that doesn't mean they're all born-again Christians. And it says in verse 5, well, the oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit, just like a fig tree is always symbolic of the nation of Israel. So we have five virgins who have oil, and we have five that don't. They're all waiting. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, no lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So they they went, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. The door was shut. You see, only we're the bride of Christ. This is why it can't be Israel. And that's why John said that he rejoices but he's just a friend of the bridegroom. He's not equal to the bridegroom. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Notice they called him Lord. They thought they were Christian. But he answered and said assuredly, I don't know you. You mean you have to know Jesus to be saved? Absolutely. You have to have oil in your lamp. And he says, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. But again, we know the day the Lord came the first time. We know the day he's gonna come the second time. This could only be virgins that have oil. And to, I'm gonna have you turn to this, because I want you to see it as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a I think he had a good heart. He was really troubled by the Lord. Um, He came to Jesus by night um, because he didn't want to be seen. And yet there was something about Jesus that bothered him. And without exception, every person in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us something about that person that only that person knows. And um, Without exception, everybody run in. The first one is Nicodemus here. Nicodemus says, well, I know you came from God because nobody could do what you're doing unless God is with them. And Jesus cut right to the quick. He went right, right for the juggler with Nicodemus. And he says, Nicodemus, assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. He's a Pharisee. He's rich. He's a nice guy. He was there with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, when they took the body of of Jesus off the cross. What does that tell you it tells me I think that Nicodemus got saved. Then the Lord said to him he couldn 't figure it out what, what he 's talking about. Nicodemus said, "Well, how can a man be born when he 's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother 's womb right over to the top of his head and the Lord went change the subject he said most assuredly if you have the old King James it says verily verily I say to you unless one is born of water what does that mean well you ever heard the term the lady at nine months or water broke you got to be born as a human born of water and of the spirit so it's possible to be born of water and still not be born again Nicodemus was born of water but he wasn't yet born again. He's trying to figure it out. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Many churches are filled today with people that are faithful in their church attendance. They even give. They're nice people. But the fact of the matter is, just like these virgins, that said, Lord, Lord, open to us, and he just said, I don't know you. Who are you? So the real honest question that's between you and God is do you know that still small voice? Do you know the Lord Jesus on a personal level? Do you have oil in your lamp? And don't be offended if I ask you that question. It's probably the most loving thing I could do if you're not. It says that the door was shut and they were not allowed in. All that to say there are many people in the world today that call themselves Christian, but they don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. So the parable of the ten virgins is very similar to the illustration of the two servants. I'm going to try to make it through verse 30 and leave 31 because this is our main text for Sunday. I'll read it and comment on it briefly. Um, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, let's just say $5, to another $2 and to another one, each according to his own ability and immediately he went on his journey. This is a picture, it's a parable of the Lord saying he's leaving and he's giving gifts and he expects them to do something with what he gave them. Then he who had received the five talents or the five dollars traded with them and made another five more. So now he's got 10. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now, after a long time, in this case 2,000 years, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he who had received the five talents came and brought another five, saying, Lord, you gave me five dollars. Look, I've gained five more besides. And the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Just keep your finger here. And remember uh, when we talked about there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have additional information given to us on this. And so turn to... Let's see, that would be Luke Luke 19, verse 11. And we have the parable, the same parable given, but he tells them here, do business till I come. So he called 10 of his servants and delivered unto them $10 and said to them, do business till I come. And um, verse 17, to the ones that did well, verse 17, well done, good servant because you've been faithful in very little have authority over 10 cities. Do you ever wonder what you would, you're going to be doing for the next thousand years as you enter into the kingdom age? I think Luke actually gives a better clue of what we're gonna be involved in as far as administrative roles You've been faithful in little, okay, now I'm going to cause you to be faithful over much. And so the idea of, of, of this particular parable, it is not how much responsibility that you have. The question is, are you faithful with what he's given to you? And that's what you're going to be judged on. The one who had five, got five more. But the Lord said, well done. You were faithful over little, we can put you faithful over a lot. And in Luke's account of it, he actually talks about cities. And to me, that just makes common sense. Because, remember, it says you're going to judge angels. And in Revelation 2 and 3, doesn't it say that the church is going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years? Go ahead, be a Brian, that's what it says. You're going to rule and reign with him. Well, we have rulers today. We have judges, we have police officers, we have our politicians, we have our presidents. And they're in ruling positions. This November, we can kick them out if we want to, or we can vote for them if we want to. But they have administrative roles in the world that we live in now. Don't you think we're going to have administrative roles with the Lord? The Bible clearly teaches it. What's it it predicated upon? If you're faithful in the little stuff right now. Any, any boss here that is an employee, has employees, don't you look for the guy that works the hardest? Um, I just had some guys do some work at my house. I got a phone call from the business, and they said, would you give us an update on the guys that did work? Because if they did a good job, they're gonna get a bonus at the end of the month. So they're checking out their staff. Why, are they faithful? Did they do, do a good job? If they do a good job, what are they gonna get? They're gonna get a reward. Now, if we understand that, how much more will the Lord? All right, let's see if we can finish this out. So, back to Matthew 21, verse 22. He who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents. And the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you, you're a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. This is his view of the Lord. And um, some, some people put such fear tactics on people in certain denominations that they have this view of the Lord. And the Lord says, come and learn of me. I'm gentle, lowly of heart you'll find rest for your souls. That's the Jesus I know. But a lot of people are scared to death of the Lord waiting for them to make one more mistake and <sniffs> squished like a bug. And it's fear that keeps them in line rather than the love of Christ. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me to do what I do. First Corinthians 13 says, if love isn't your motive, you're wasting your time. You're a clanging symbol." And it doesn't mean a thing, even if you have faith to move mountains. It's nothing, if you're if you're not motivated by the love of the Lord. I hope you guys are here tonight because you love God's word, and um, that you want to get as much as you can. Let's finish this up. Then he, this guy who thinks he's a Christian, doesn't know the Lord at all because that's not the Lord's personality. And he says, I was afraid and I went and hid your money. In other words, he didn't do anything. And the Lord says, okay, if that's what you think of me, I'll, I'll agree with you on this one. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Therefore, the least you should have done is put my money in the bank and I would have got some interest on it. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the guy who has 10. 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Now this guy, instead of entering into the kingdom and ruling and reigning with him, this one unprofitable servant is cast into outer darkness, and here it is again, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says once to die and then to judgment. On Sunday, we're gonna go through all four of them. The flood, the judgment seat of Christ. Um, We're starting with verse 31, the judgment of the Gentiles. And that's what's going to happen immediately after the tribulation. And then Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. And so we're gonna tackle all four of them. And you're gonna have to take notes because I'm not gonna let you out until you got it all down and I check your paper and grade them before you can go. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, again, I thank you for the kids. What a joy they are to watch. And now we deal with um, the Olivet Discourse. In two days, Lord, they crucified you after you gave this teaching on the parable of the fig tree and, and the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents giving us an exhortation to make sure that we know you beyond any shadow of any doubt in a personal way. We don't want to be those five unwise virgins who thought they were, but they weren't. Or this one that was cast out, and I can't even describe the finality of uh, his fate, and that's eternal. So Lord, we take your word seriously, and we see that it's your desire as your word says that You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance so that they can, Lord, just receive your love and your mercy and your grace. And Jesus, we're so grateful for your grace because we know it's all what you have done. Help us be faithful in whatever things you've put before us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.